0: we're going to read from page 12 when we get there but I just want you to think for a minute I wonder if you what you would say if a really good friend of yours was heading off to the other side of the world and you were unlikely to see them again or maybe you can think back I'm afraid for me it's a bit too long ago but um, what your mum and dad said to you as you left home for the first time what advice did they give you Or maybe, more like me, you've got kids and you can remember sending them off to uni or you can remember sending them off to their first week of camp from school. What advice would you give or what advice were you given? Maybe enjoy yourself. Don't worry. We know you're going to feel a bit homesick, but don't worry, you'll get through it. Maybe you were a bit more spiritual than I was and said, God's with you, you know, just keep going. And... I just want you to think about that for a minute while we get to the point in Paul's letter where we're writing to, Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's giving them some instructions. And remember, Paul helped to establish this community of believers. They became his friends and his supporters. And they were in contact with him for the rest of his life. He's writing this letter from prison in Rome. And last week, we saw how he told them how he was getting on. It was quite unusual, and it was totally focused on God. And if you missed it, I suggest you go back to the King's website and you listen to it again. Um, But this week, we're going to start reading at verse 27, and it's on page 12 of the little booklet. So Paul says, whatever happens conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Let's just pray that God will help us this morning. Father, I thank you that this is your word, that it's living and active that you've already spoken to us this morning. And Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to us. Amen. So firstly, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, Paul exhorts them. Other translations have the word only. Nothing else at all must get in the way, distract or excuse them from this great objective. It should be their all-embracing objective, whether Paul is there or not. Last week, we saw how his whole purpose in life was to see the gospel proclaimed. Now, he's passing that on to the Philippians. This is the only thing he wants to be bothered about. So his advice would be, from the very beginning, his advice would be, take the gospel forward. And yes, he explains it in more detail as we go through the letter, but his first and foremost instruction to them, and indirectly to us, is live a life worthy of the gospel. I wonder what that means to you. This is Paul giving the instruction that he thinks is most important. We should take notice. As it's already been said this morning, it's January, and in January, I don't know about you, but my thoughts start to go to the year ahead particularly as it's cold here, what will we do? Maybe you've made New Year's resolutions. Maybe those have already been broken. Maybe you make holiday plans. Maybe you make, I'm going to be better at this sort of plans. I'm sure Paul made plans too. In fact, he tells us he made plans, and they don't always go to, to schedule. In Acts, he says, I want to go to such and such a place, and he doesn't always get there. But wherever he ends up, he spoke about God and he proclaimed the gospel. So he tells the Philippians, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Other translations have this as only, so the one thing, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word life here is actually saying, be a citizen. And it could be stated, you could rephrase it, only one thing concerns me, be sure that you live as citizens in a way that brings honour to, or is worthy of, the gospel or the good news of Christ. Now, the concept of being a citizen is an important one the Philippians were really aware that they were citizens of Rome. They might have been 800 miles away from Rome, but actually they were citizens and that gave them certain privileges. In Acts, there's an incident where Paul is about to be flogged and he speaks up saying, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asks. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander goes to Paul and asks, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realised that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. So being a citizen is an important thing and it gives you certain privileges. Now, I'm not a citizen of Rome and I suspect none of you are either, but we are all, if you have accepted Christ, citizens of heaven. And that gives us real privileges. If you're a child of God, you're a citizen of heaven. Paul says in Romans 8, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. So we have security we don't fear but we enjoy sonship. We have the status not of a slave but as a son. And that gives us authority. Do you know my kids come into my house and they can help themselves to the toast. They can fling their washing in the washing basket and expect it to be done. You know they have expectations but they also have expectations that they can say no I don't want to do that. We have that with Christ. We have rights. We have privileges. We have intimacy with Jesus. We can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. We have assurance that we're sons of God, heirs of Christ. The Holy Spirit is living with us, testifying with our spirits. We have an inheritance. In this culture, it was only the eldest son who would inherit. But in our case, we all inherit. We also get a bit of discipline. Any good father or good parent will also lovingly discipline their children. So knowing that we're citizens is really important and it gives us confidence that we can follow the rest of the instruction. Paul isn't taking them from a place of weakness. He's taking them from a place of confidence. So he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel? The gospel is good news. The news that the creator God has himself taken on our sin on his son and given us new life by his spirit. This is an endless message. Jesus is inexhaustible. His grace is never ending. His mercy is never fading. His compassion doesn't fail us. His love is never ending and never ceasing. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He promises to complete the work he began in us. He unites with us despite our failings. Jesus forgives us completely. He saves us. He cleanses us completely. In Christ, our salvation is secure and complete now and forever if you've put your hope in Jesus, this is the place that we live. And that certainly gives me confidence that I can start each day afresh. If you don't know Jesus, this morning I encourage you to find out more about what we're all talking about this morning. So are we notable for living a life worthy of the gospel? Why should people believe in Christ if they can't see Christ in us? Or take notice if they don't see the fruits of salvation of holy living. We should all be living in a manner that reflects the way that Christ lived. So are we choosing right character traits? Are we pursuing righteousness? I'm not saying that we're perfect, and I am far from perfect. My family will tell you that. But we try. We won't get it right every time, but we do make some progress Can people tell that you're different? Do you talk differently to your colleagues or your friends? Do you have different goals in life? Do you do different things with your money? Um, Most of you will know, or a lot of you will know, that I'm a high school teacher. I have a lot of first years this year, of which some of them are very young. Uh, And uh, I often have to ask a child to wait outside the door for me while I speak to them. And it's normally a hymn, so I'm sorry, the hymn is going to come out. Sorry about that, guys. Um, But our conversation often goes along the lines of, you did such and such. Is this the best behaviour that you can give me? No. (laughs) I know that you can improve, can't you? Yes. So, can we have back the person that you were last lesson, or maybe the beginning of the week, or maybe if I'm really scratching the bucket... The the beginning of term. I'm asking them to put on a great version of themselves. I'm really specific. You did this specific thing wrong, okay? And I want you to do this to improve. So firstly, before I talk more about living a life of the gospel, if you're sitting here feeling generally guilty that actually I don't do anything right, I'm rubbish. That is not God speaking to you, okay? Just like I try, I don't always, I have to tell you. um, I try to be specific with a child. God is really specific with us. He has a really specific plan and he is very capable of pinpointing in your life a specific thing that he wants you to change. So if you feel generally guilty, that is not God, okay? He knows we can only change one thing at a time. But I think Paul is trying to exhort us to here to pursue those character traits that he wants to see. He wants us to live according to the charter of the kingdom of God and not the rules of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't do that on my own. I need quite a lot of help. Before I move on, Paul isn't saying we can in any way earn our salvation. We're not doing that. We can't pay back God for what he's already done in saving us. It's our relationship with God and his saving us from our sins is a totally free gift of grace. We can't earn it. We can't improve on it. But the gospel gives us new life and gives us a pattern to live by. It's like a measuring rod or a plumb line which we can measure our lives by. And we want to live our lives in a way that reflects the way that Jesus lived. And that will come up again later in Philippians. He comes back to it. So if we need help, this brings us to the second point. We are to stand firm. He says you should stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So how do we do it? We stand firm or we stand steadfast. But remember, standing firm under attack, while it requires a decision on our individual part, it's a corporate matter of activity. It's a fellowship thing. They're striving together. They're not doing it on their own. So there's a unity There's a unity in one spirit. We have the the help of the Holy Spirit that draws us together. They're standing together with one mind. The mind here, the word psyche, refers to the sphere of affections and moral energies. It points to what we feel about things, how we react to them. It raises questions of what things we consider valuable and constitutes a worthwhile objective in life. We have unity in action. So striving together, he's encouraging them to be a church where everyone is involved. There's no one standing on the side, and it's easy to do this, isn't it? To stand on the side and say, I agree, but mm, not totally sure, so I'm not actually going to do it. Okay, this is more than just an approval. Yeah, you go ahead and do it. This is partnership. Yep, you do it, and I'll join in with you. And this is unity in faith the faith of the gospel, the faith produced by the gospel. Whoever we're talking, whether we're talking about the faith as in what we believe or a call to bring others to faith in the gospel, there are overlaps. Both agree what the gospel is, the death of Jesus, the sinless son of God on the cross for our sins. He gave up his life so that we can be pardoned. Paul's interest is in this gospel being proclaimed in all circumstances. Unity, or togetherness, makes us strong. I have a really silly example for you, okay? I can take one piece of paper, you on your own, and happily rip it into a thousand pieces, okay? I will take pity on the practical team and not just chuck it on the floor. However, if I take a whole jotter of papers, us as a church standing together, I'm actually going to really struggle, right? I can't tear it apart. I can't do it. You can experiment with your booklet if you like. (laughs) Okay, now, as I line up together, the harder it is. I know how hard it is to be united with a whole bunch of different people who do different things and have come from different backgrounds. Believe me, I teach a room full of teenagers and I watch them struggle to get along. Okay, particularly first years. Can't agree with each other. You know, they're all clamoring for attention, they're all clamoring to work out who's top dog. So, how do we, a massive group of believers, do that? There will always be people in life who you find harder to get on with. And Paul isn't saying that we have to be best of friends with everyone. But we all do need people who we know are on our side, who are praying for us, who, when they ask you on a Sunday morning or through the week, how are you doing, you don't just need to say, fine, thanks. We can be really honest with them. And I know those type of friendships require time, they require trust, they require an exposing of yourself both ways. But think of the people who you would phone if something went wrong. And are they here? Think of the people who you can really trust, who you can be really truthful with. Those people who will tell you that you have got it wrong. They won't just tell you all the nice things. They, but they will partner with you in prayer. They will support you as you try to change You know, Jen's word this morning about praying together is a really important one for us. We need to be praying with people and encouraging each other. Small groups can be a really good way of building those relationships. And if you're not in one, there will be time at the back you can join one. What about those people you just look at and you think, I really don't think I can get on with those? Have you tried praying for them? Have you tried understanding that, do you know what? They're in a tough situation too. They have difficulties too. And I know at times it feels like a competition. Believe me, I can be as competitive as the next person. I was once told, you don't have to win every game you play with your children, you know. (laughs) But of course you do. (laughs) But it doesn't help in being united with somebody. But praying for somebody and praying that they'll do better than you certainly does. Finding good things about them helps. Or even just realising that we're all going through something together. You know, when we pray and worship, we're going to pray and worship tonight, it brings us together in unity. There's something special about praying and worshipping with people and agreeing with them and supporting them in prayer. I'm not saying that we're all called to be doing exactly the same thing. Fortunately not. God made us to be very different. I'm, I think more like a sports team where each player has its own particular role to do. Believe me, there are many, many people who would hate to do what I do every day. Equally, if you told me I had to go and work in an office, yeah, well, it would be a total disaster. I wouldn't last a week. We each have specific things that God wants us to do, and he wants us to do them well. And God made us to be different. He celebrates the differences. But within this, we're called for one ministry, the advancement of the kingdom of God. And by letting God love us, we also allow God's light to shine through us. His grace and for his glory were a sign to the watching world that Jesus is alive and that his grace is real and that anyone can get in on it. You'll notice that I've highlighted the word frightened on here. The word "frightened" here," Paul expresses really strong, a very strong Greek word. It's only used at this instance in the text, in the whole Bible. Um, it's used to mean "frightened," as if the uncontrollable stampede of startled horses. Imagine standing in the way of a whole stampede of wild horses running towards you. Pretty terrifying. So Paul's thinking is that the world rises up in such opposition it's designed to put the church in a total U-turn and scattering his people. The church, us, are to respond with a rock-like immobility, simply because we are a united church. This isn't the feeling of being nervous. We're all nervous about some of the things that we have to do. And actually, a bit of nerves is often good, helps us to perform well. This is the being so terrified that we are stopped in our tracks, a rabbit in the headlights. So because we know that people are with us, we are united with others, we are united with God. We don't have to be terrified. We're not the only ones in the Bible that need to be reminded not to be frightened. Jeremiah, at the beginning of Jeremiah, God tells him, do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Moses tells the people in Exodus, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. In Joshua, God tells Joshua at the beginning, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In fact, The Bible tells us many, many, many times, do not be afraid. So we don't need to be afraid without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So us being steadfast and not totally terrified demonstrates to those around us our salvation. And when people recognise our salvation, they recognise they're missing something and their own destiny of life without God. The message puts it really well. It says, your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you and both because of God. Our courage and unity are clear to those who are watching. And people do watch your life once they know you're a Christian. They might not be aware of it, but they are observing how you behave and how you respond. And I don't say that to scare you, but it's good to be aware of what people, that our actions also speak of our trust in God. At the last bit, it says, and this is my third point, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This isn't the great bit, is it, of the message? The word here used for granted means to give grace or to bestow both belief and suffering. Suffering is a sign that God is with you and not against you. Remember, Paul is here in prison and is experiencing suffering. He's chained to somebody 24 seven. That isn't stopping him proclaim the gospel. By grace, God gives us both faith and suffering for the gospel of faith. I'm not talking about general suffering, I'm talking about opposition. It's much nicer to talk about the faith part than the suffering, the difficulties. We don't deserve either, but both are part of the life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul is thinking that they could end up in jail just like he is. I'm hoping and thinking that not many of us in our current culture in the UK should end up in prison for our beliefs. The Bible is clear that we will suffer for God's sake, and it says this is a gift. I think that's harder to swallow, and I'm not expecting to go into prison, but I do have to stand up for my beliefs, we live in a time where oppression of Christians is not officially sanctu- sanctioned, however, Christian convictions are frequently ridiculed in the workplace or subtly undermined if you watch media or entertainment. We live in a really materialistic culture. This can put subtle, believers, subtle pressures on us in the ways that we, for example, handle our money. In our culture, it's acceptable to be anything you feel. And feelings are so important, it can be hard to hold to the truth to scripture where we're told to meditate on the word. Why? So that it permeates our being and that it's more important than the cultural or the day-to-day influence of the word. We must be careful that in the opposition we receive, for example, in our workplaces, that we refuse to allow those who oppose the gospel to intimidate us into living no differently from the citizens of the world. I might not be going to prison anytime soon, but I do need to take courage in my heart and know that God is with me and stand with you all to speak out for what I believe. I want to treat my opponents with kindness and thoughtfulness. And as we do that, I think we'll see the kingdom of God advancing. When we stand firm in our sufferings or trials, it's easy to feel like we're alone. And maybe that's one of the reasons where Paul has encouraged the Philippians to stand firm. We should remember that in 1 Corinthians 10, it tells us, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. The difficulties and the opposition we go through are common, yet we should be encouraged and emboldened. Other godly people are facing the same, if not more difficult circumstances, than than us. And God is faithful. As I was preparing this, I was um, reminded of an incident that happened a long time ago. Uh, When I first started teaching in England not long, I was promoted to uh, head of year. And so I dealt with discipline across quite a difficult year group. Uh, and one Friday morning, there'd been an incident in a class with one child. Yes, it was a him. I'm really sorry. Anyway, the incident was so bad. I said I discussed it with my with everybody, and I said, "Okay, we need to send this child home for the day," which obviously is a bit of an inconvenience for the parent. Yes, they're secondary, but they can't really just you know always go home. And I also insisted that the parent and the child came in to see me on Monday morning before he was allowed back in school, another inconvenience to the parent. Uh, Now, this was fairly routine stuff. I didn't think much more of it. It was Friday. I was really relieved to get to the end of the day and the end of a slightly difficult week. And I had nothing to tip for tea Friday evening. So I popped down to the local Safeway. Now, that's dating me, isn't it? (laughs) Really dating me. Um, And I'm paying for my shopping and I'm, and it wasn't the self-scan because they didn't have self-scans, but, you know, I'm paying for my shopping and I'm waiting in the queue and I'm looking out, gazing out, and there's this lady watching me. She's got her shopping, she's paid for all her shopping and she's just standing there watching me. And I'm thinking, that's a bit odd, isn't it? You know? And uh, anyway, I thought no more of it. You know, just carry on, pay for my shopping, put it in my bag I walk through, I go to to walk out, and this lady who's been watching me, busy Friday night shop, starts shouting at me. You have no right to send my son home. He'd done nothing wrong. It wasn't his fault. On and on and on she went. Now, fairly quickly, I clicked who she must be. I'd only sent one child home. I'm trying not to panic, and I said, uh, right, okay, well, I'm sorry that you disagree, but I will discuss this with you on Monday. I'm leaving the shop, I'm a bit shaky, okay? And uh, the first thing I do was I went home and I phoned my boss. And I was like, I've just had this incident in the, in the supermarket. I'm not doing that meeting on my own. So I'm gathering support. Now she was excellent, my boss was excellent. And um, of course by Monday morning, I'm really nervous about this meeting, but everybody else had totally calmed down and you know, started to see sense over the weekend. Time is a real healer. Um, And by the time she'd laid it out for them, mum and child both apologised and all was well. Now, why do I tell you this story? Yes, it is quite amusing, but we stood together. We stood our ground. We were really clear with both the parent and the pupil what was right in that situation. I was really nervous I wasn't terrified because I knew I had the back. Somebody else had my back, okay? And I was really relieved when it was done. But there is something special in being supported. And we are here to support each other. We are here to work in faith together with whatever difficulties people are facing. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ. You might have loads and loads of questions, But let me tell you, the gospel is good news for everyone. Everyone sitting here who has come to Christ has a different story of how that has happened for them and what God means to us. I want to encourage you if you're not a Christian, ask somebody how they came to Christ, ask somebody why they're here this morning. And if you've got further questions, come up to the welcome group and they will answer as many questions as they can in that time. But they will keep answering and you'll get a warm welcome. Otherwise, this morning, we see that there are three main things that Paul is saying. First of all, Paul says, live a life worthy of the gospel. Be citizens of heaven. Live like that. Be confident in the promises of scripture. And if you don't know some promises of scripture... Start with Romans 8 and meditate on them and see what God speaks to you about. But no scripture in your heart. Secondly, he says, stand firm. That means standing with others. Join with the Holy Spirit in praying for people and being prayed for. Be honest with people about how you're doing. You don't need to tell everyone your deepest, darkest secret, but we all need some people who, when they ask you how you are, you can be honest. Enlist help with your struggles and ask people to pray for you and be willing to pray for other, others. Even if you're in a difficult situation, actually praying for somebody else is really really helpful. Thirdly, it's clear that suffering or opposition is not an unexpected part of being a Christian. It's not a sign that you've done something wrong. On the contrary, The Bible's really clear that we will all face opposition and suffering. And amazingly, and maybe frustratingly, that is part of God's grace to us. It's one of the ways he uses to change us. But we can rely on God's faithfulness in every situation we find ourselves in.